we know as the worship team sang that God is only good and will not for a moment forsake us is the cross an instrument of torture and death devised by men for the very worst of people God used for our eternal best by hanging his perfectly righteous son on one of those crosses to become our savior as he bore God's wrath against our sin for us instead of us as our substitute. That is radical grace. That God so loved the world that he would give in that fashion his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What radical grace. And as Philip Yancey says, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more. And grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less. 
Grace means that God already loves us as much as an infinite God can possibly love. Radical grace. And the cross of Christ is how he loved us. It's hard to believe, but we're finally going to finish Galatians this morning. We've been in the book of Galatians for, uh, I don't know, months now. We've been talking about radical grace, and this morning, I want to talk about a radical grace wrap-up. He ties up all his loose ends in these verses, and there's really not that many ends to tie up. His message is still the same as it's been all throughout. We're going to look at a radical grace wrap-up. In short, one solitary boast. We're going to be in Galatians 6, 11 to 18 that we read earlier. And here's the take-home for you today. Boasting in Christ alone is the only way to have peace with and mercy from God. How many of you want to make sure that you have peace with God? If you didn't raise your hand, you must be not listening or a fool. <laughs> How many of you want to make sure you have mercy from God? Right. We need mercy desperately from God. Boasting in Christ alone is the only way to have peace with and mercy from God. I want you to see three elements in these final verses that help drive that point home. First of all, in verses 12 and 13, we see a final expose of legalists. Now, I want to just take two seconds to note the verse right before this. Galatians 6, verse 11, we read it earlier, and you may have already figured out the point here, but just to underscore it, if you missed it, 6.11 says, see what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. That's why the text on the screen is in capital letters. What we believe about the original manuscript of the, of the letter to the Galatians is at this point, Paul, who had been dictating this letter to a scribe, it was just common for the day, you know, back in my, I guess it would have been my mother's day, some of you can remember if you worked as a secretary back in the early 70s, you would most often take by shorthand a dictation from the executive and then go type it up, right? We didn't have all these voice recorders and computers and all these things. Back then, men couldn't type, so they just they had to have their secretary and, and, and so forth. Same thing in Paul's day. He would have dictated the letter up to this point, but at this point, he, he, he reaches over and he says, I'm going to finish the letter myself. And he takes the pen and he goes into capital letters. The, the script of the Greek language is in, in, in what's called minuscules or lowercase letters. But as, as he takes the pen in hand, Paul begins to write in, and unseals large capital letters. And he finishes the letter in block capital letters for emphasis. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand, from the translation that we read earlier. Notice what large letters I use as I write these closing words in my own handwriting. The whole point is, I want you to get the summary. 
And as he begins the summary in verse 12, we see a final expose of legalists. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised want to look good to others. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. No one does, right? And they only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. In verses 12 and 13, as Paul is writing in all capital letters, he takes the gloves off. Paul takes the gloves off here and he goes right for the jugular. And here's the short. The gut-level motivations of legalists are not sincere nor well-intentioned. They are arrogant and cowardly. Paul peels it back and he said, here's the deal inside the heart of every legalist. Just in case, after five and a half, almost six chapters, you think that there are legalists who sincerely want your best before God, let me peel it back for you, Paul says. Here's the deal. Their hearts are arrogant and cowardly. Their real motives are, first of all, spiritual pride. Verse 12, the first part, and then verse 13. Those who are trying to force you to be circumcised, why are they doing it? They want to look good to others. Then verse 13. And even those who advocate circumcision don't keep the whole law themselves. Why are they telling you to be circumcised? They only want you to be circumcised so they can boast about it and claim you as their disciples. Paul says they have two motivations. The first is spiritual pride. They're arrogant and are only using their converts for their own selfish agenda before men. That's the heart of a legalist. Paul exposes the motives of every legalist. And the first motive is that of spiritual pride. The second, in verse 12, the second part of of that verse, is the fear of persecution. They don't want to be persecuted for teaching that the cross of Christ alone can save. They had watched Paul and other of the disciples long enough to know that if you said in a, in a Jewish culture, even in, in, in any pagan culture, if you said Jesus is the only way to God, and believing in a crucified and resurrected, supernaturally resurrected Savior is the only way to have a relationship of peace and mercy with God. They'd watched long enough to know what happens to people that talk like that. And Paul says in the second to the last verse of the book that we've already read, I've got scars on my body for that message. You get persecuted. You get rejected. In Paul's case, you get beaten. You get shipwrecked. You go hungry at times. You're imprisoned on occasion. And still today, in 2016, our brothers and sisters, this is the normal experience of the broader, larger, worldwide church. It is the norm for more of us in the body of Christ in this world than not. We are the exception. We are the exception. They don't want to be persecuted. 
They are cowardly and would rather deny the sufficiency of the cross of Christ than suffer for him. They are going to compromise and they're going to take the bottle of grace, the life-giving water of grace in Jesus. They're not going to suffer for, for, for keeping it pure. They're going to taint it just enough so everybody can enjoy it and like it and, and, and it'll be pleasing to everybody, but in doing so, they drop drops of poison that kills the goodness of the news. Paul says their motives are spiritual pride. And secondly, fear of persecution. They're arrogant and they're cowardly. Who are the legalists that you know? We've tried to make this practical as we go, but maybe we'll get it real practical right here in just a second. Who are the legalists that you know? Do you know any... Anybody know legalist? Of the following things, are we guilty? Have you met the dress right for church and proud of it, folks? Y'all all all right? (laughs) I hope you are because it's going to get a lot worse. The haircut right for a Christian and proud of it, exhibit A. Just kidding. Just kidding. That was a joke. Never miss a church service and proud of it, folks. Vegetarian and proud of it, folks. Vegan and proud of it, folks. Don't dance and proud of it, folks. No TV or movies and proud of it, folks. No tobacco or alcohol has ever crossed my lips and never will. And proud of it, folks. The King James Version of the Bible only and proud of it, folks. If you don't get saved in the altar at revival, it can't be real and proud of it, folks. Just a little personal testimony. Grant got saved last Wednesday. Hallelujah. And just the the brief version is someone heard the news that he got saved on the side of the road in the car on the way home from Wednesday night. Thank you, Gina and Meredith and all the rest of you that teach our kids. And they said, you mean he didn't go to the altar? (laughs) Praise God, one of our church members was there to say, no, and I'm glad God doesn't care where you get saved. Because it's about God's work in the heart. It's not about a place. It's not about an emotional moment. It's not about a posture of the body. If it's about any of those things, it's not about grace. Have you met that you can't be divorced and remarried and be a member of our church and probably not even go to heaven and proud of it, folks? You must be baptized and be baptized in our church to be saved and proud of it, folks. It's legalism. Especially the latter part that says it's got to be our church. If a person thinks that any of these things have anything to do with true salvation before God, they are arrogant and cowardly legalists. Paul says no matter how sincere and religious and pious they seem, boasting in Christ alone is the only way to have peace with and mercy from God. That's Paul's expose, his last expose of legalists. Secondly, a final exhortation 
to believers. Look at verses 14 through 16. Paul says, as for me, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. It doesn't matter whether we've been circumcised or not. What counts is a new creation. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. Let's start with verse 16. May God's peace and mercy be upon all who live by this principle. They are the new people of God. What Paul's saying is this. The real Israel... The group of folks that all of the promises to Abraham pointed to and are fulfilled in, it is those who live out, Paul says, verses 14 and 15, no matter your nationality, Jews and Gentiles, all who live by the standard of verses 14 and 15, by the principle of verses 14 and 15, by the rule of verses 14 and 15, are the true people, the true Israel, the true People, children of Abraham. That's you. That's me as a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. That's Messianic Jews. That's people from every tribe, tongue, people and nation on the, on the planet that follow Christ. That is the true Israel of God. Now, Paul, I thought the whole deal was that there are no rules or laws that we must obey. But now you're saying the ones that keep this principle, this standard, your translation may say, this rule are the true people of God. Well, Paul is saying here, there's just one rule. There's just one principle you've got to do. One standard to be kept. Never boast in anything except the cross of Jesus Christ alone. As for me, verse 14, may I never boast about anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter, verse 15, whether or not we've, whether we've been circumcised or not. So the rule is, the principle here, is that you can't boast before God about anything you have or have not done, Period. For you see, neither religious works, circumcision, and a whole host of other things you could list, or the lack thereof, that is refusing religion and living loosely and making up your own rules by which you try to earn your favor before God by being better than other people, neither of these contributes one drop to your own salvation. And either of those added to the work of Christ is a drop of arsenic in a glass of water. And it destroys grace and kills the soul. Because you see, in either case, you're depending on you. And you and I have nothing to contribute before a holy God under whose righteous judgment we are justly condemned apart from Jesus. And so Paul says you must only boast before God about his son who did and accomplished and paid for everything you'll ever need 
before holy God for life, for salvation, and for eternity. And, and Paul is using here the strongest negative in the Greek language. May it never be. God forbid. May I be cursed by God if I ever boast in anything but the cross. There's nothing I have ever done or ever could do that would be boastworthy before holy God. May I boast, Paul says, only in Christ alone. And what he says here is just another way of saying what he's been saying all through the letter. Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in the work of Christ alone. That is radical grace, and it's the only way of salvation. There's not another version that will get you there. There's not another, another gospel that, will, that, that works for God. There's not another defense you can plead when you stand before the throne of God as your judge. Paul says there is no other gospel. Tim Keller says, to know you are saved by Christ's work alone brings a joyous, boasting confidence. But it's not a self-confidence, it's a Christ-confidence. You know what you need today, Christian friend? You need Christ-confidence. Christ-confidence in your life. You don't need self Confidence. You want your kids need parents? They need Christ confidence. Confidence in Jesus. They don't need confidence in themselves. They need confidence in Jesus who did it all. And who will continue to do it all for them. In them. Through them. That's what it means to walk by the Spirit like we've been talking about. The Christian life following Jesus from beginning to end is about grace. Every step. Not just the first one, but every step between here and eternity is by grace through faith and the power of the risen Christ. John Newton said it, oh Puritan, they are the happiest who have the lowest thoughts of themselves and in whose eyes Jesus is most glorious and precious. Hmm. Does that bother you? There was no amen to that. We need to, by the way, you need to learn to think like the Puritans used to think because it's a lot more biblical than we think. I'm going to read that again because I think I hit a nerve. They are the happiest who have the lowest thoughts of themselves. Do you know who you are? Before holy God, you're a worm, the old song says. Y'all all right? How's that for a self-esteem boost on a Sunday morning? <laughs> I hope I kill it. I wish I could kill it in me. To make me confident in Christ. Because when I get low in myself and see me for who I am, it's then that in our eyes, Jesus is the most glorious and precious. Some of you are afraid to have low self-esteem. Why? Because you don't understand the glory and the value and the preciousness of Jesus and the confidence you can live with in him that far exceeds any kind of self-esteem that you think and you've been lied to by psychologists that you need. Y'all all right? This is what it means to believe the gospel of grace. This is radical grace. And I'm just telling you, if you're running a parallel 
self-support system alongside of your, your belief in the gospel. You've not banked on Christ yet. You're just giving mental assent to a message. But you're, you're, you're in your heart, you're depending on feeling good about yourself. The only reason I can tell you about that is because I realize how much it happens right here. Or over here, wherever my heart's at. Verse 15, what counts is whether we've been transformed into a new creation. Listen to all that. I want you to, I want you to catch this. What counts before God? Your religion or lack thereof, anything about you and your activity and your works and your doing? No. Whether you have been, have been, it's a passive verb. What does that mean? Have been. If you have been transformed, if you have been transformed, who transformed? You're the recipient of the transformation. You're passive in that verb. Who's doing the acting? God is acting on you to transform you into a new creation. And even the, 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 the phrase he uses to describe us, the two words, new creation, new creation. Not new attainment that you did and earned and made. He created you anew. He transformed you. What is this new creation that God has made us to be? Galatians 5 verse 6 it's a parallel passage to, to the verse we just read. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision or uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that matters, here he says, is whether you've been transformed into a new creation. In Galatians 5, 6, he says the only thing that matters is faith expressing itself in love. A new creation behaves by faith in Jesus expressing itself in love to the world. That's the behavior of a new creation. In Galatians 5, verse 25, it says, Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. The power of a new creation, me and you as believers in Jesus, is the Holy Spirit who lives within us. We didn't, we didn't get life with God, relationship with God, by our works. It was given to us, granted to us, by the power of the Holy Spirit working in our hearts, that we were able to trust it by faith Jesus Christ is our Savior. And Paul says, if we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Every day we're to walk in the power that saved us. His indwelling power by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 2, verse 20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. There's so much in that verse, but here's the short. Paul's entire existence was all and all and always about Jesus. And Jesus in him and through him. The life I now live in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself on the bloody cross for me. That means I get up in the morning and I live today. First of all, I remember the cross. And I remember I'm loved. I'm fully accepted in Christ. I remember radical grace. And I remember that that grace is not only to save me, but to empower me. And I remember the same Jesus who hung on the cross and rose from the dead lives in me. And today, I take every step that I take, or at least I can. I can take it in his power. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God. 
new creations in Christ, live lives of loving service to others in the power of Christ who lives in us by his spirit. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a new creation. And let's not miss the second half of verse 14. Because of that cross, my interest in this world has been crucified and the world's interest in me has also died. You know what Paul's saying? The world's become like a despised and dead corpse to me. People that were hung on the cross, they were despised, outcasts of society, criminals who deserve the worst of deaths. Crucifixion was an awful and humiliating and degrading and shameful way to die. The world has become crucified to us, despised and and like a dead corpse to us. Is that your relationship to the world? How about this? And I have become like a despised and dead corpse to the world. You know how the world ought to treat you? Like a despised and dead corpse. You know what that that all is boiled down to for me? If I've got a good, cozy relationship with this world, if I don't really have any rub with the way the world thinks and acts and behaves, and if it doesn't really have any trouble with the way I think, act, and behave, the way I define reality, the way I, the way I, what I call true, how I relate to Jesus, if there's no rub between me and the world, then there's a problem. Somebody's not dead. The crucifixion of the world to me has not happened. The crucifixion of me to the world has not happened And the only way it can happen is if I'm embracing Jesus Christ alone. And if I've got a cozy relationship with the world, then I've got to go back and question, have I actually got a hold of this radical grace that Jesus died to give? Because it doesn't leave me the same. He comes to live in me and 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 he wrecks my world for his glory. He revamps the whole deal, and I start talking like this. I count all things lost except for the excellency of the knowledge of knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, Paul says, that's not strong enough. I count everything dung except knowing Jesus. Everything that can be known in the world, I count it dung compared to knowing Jesus. If anything competes with with my relationship to Jesus in the world, it dies. It gets the knife. It gets the axe. And my relationship with Jesus wins. If you embrace radical grace, that's how you talk. Boasting in Christ alone is the only way to have peace with and mercy from God. Thirdly and lastly this morning, a final example and encouragement. We've seen Paul's final Expose of the legalist. We've seen this final exhortation to believers. Here we see in verses 17 and 18 a final example and encouragement. First of all, Paul's example. I'm reading from the message translation in verse 17. I like the way Peterson translates this. It's good. Quite frankly, I don't want to be bothered anymore by these disputes. I have far more important things to do. The serious living of this faith. I bear in my body scars from my service to Jesus. You see, the false teachers in Galatia said they love Jesus. Legalists say they love Jesus. 
but their self-preserving legalism said otherwise. And Paul is saying, look, I have scars for my solitary boasting in the cross of Christ. Physical scars I have on my body for preaching the message of Jesus alone as Savior. I don't need this useless rhetoric from the false teachers about whether I really love Jesus. They were questioning his love. Does, does he even know God? If he's, if he's saying you throw the law out and, and, and you don't have to be circumcised, can he even be a real Christian? Paul says, let me tell you, I don't, I don't need that useless talk. I've got scars in my body that your false teachers, Galatian church, do, do not have. And you, of all people, should see and know that. And then he gives them this closing encouragement in verse 18. Dear brothers and sisters, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. What's Paul saying? Paul is saying, I want you to live like I do. With the grace of our Lord Jesus so deeply treasured within your spirit that you don't boast of anything else and that we live our lives in his power by his indwelling spirit preaching one message, one way of salvation to God that has nothing to do with our works and everything to do with the cross of Jesus Christ. He's the only way of salvation. Paul said, I want you to have one solitary boast. Because boasting in Christ alone is the only way to have peace with and mercy from God. It's not about whether I read my Bible every day. Now, let me just ask you something. Should you read your Bible every day? Yes. Why? Just because you should? Why? Hmm? To learn, to grow, to, 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 to expand your relationship. Is it, is it to, to make God happy on a Monday morning? No. You're as loved as you could ever be whether you read your Bible tomorrow morning or not. The cross proved that. But because of the cross and because you're loved as you ever could be, infinitely loved by a holy God, the love of Christ compels us to want to know him better and grow in our relationship with him. Talking about marriage this morning in Sunday school and being in love and, 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 and all these things. And we, of course, talked about that. Andy Stanley said, all you've got to have is a pulse to fall in love. Loving for a lifetime, that's a different story. But there's, there is something good and, and right and real about a, the analogy of a man and woman's relationship when they are loving one another actively and and their relationship as is as they need to be. They don't, they don't hang out because they have to, right? 
They get to spend time together because it's their pleasure. I delight to be with my wife because it's my pleasure. And so it should be with Jesus. As we prepare to come to the Lord's table and as the worship team makes its way up, I want us to prepare our hearts. No more fitting passage than Galatians 6 to lead us to the Lord's table. Boasting in Christ alone, it's the only way to have peace with and mercy from God, but boasting in Christ alone means singing in our hearts the words to that wonderful old hymn, O Sacred Head Now Wounded. Listen to these words. O Sacred Head Now Wounded. With grief and shame weighed down, now scornfully surrounded with thorns, thine only crown. O sacred head, what glory, what bliss till now was thine. Before Jesus came to the earth, he sat at the right hand of the Father. He was glorified by all of heaven. Yet, though despised and gory, we saw the goriness of the cross earlier. I joy to call thee mine. Do you have joy in calling that bloody Savior on the cross who was buried for three days and rose again and right now is King of kings and Lord of lords at the right hand of the Father? Do you joy? Do you take joy in calling him yours? Do you boast in the cross alone? If you do this morning, this table's for you. This table is a place to celebrate in a fresh way your solitary boasting in the cross this table is a place to embrace God's radical grace in Jesus in a fresh way in 1 Corinthians 11 Paul said whoever eats or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. Does that mean that we can be worthy of this table? No. We, we can't be worthy of this representation of the cross any more than, than we're worthy. We were worthy the day Jesus hung on the cross for us, right? What the text means there is we can come in a way that shows the worth of the cross, in a way that shows the value of the cross. We can come as sincere as little children and just with the faith of a child believe and truly boast only in the cross in the broken body and shed blood of Jesus on the cross for my sins for your sins you see what would unworthy look like at this table it would be coming and just going through the motions but really feeling pretty good about yourself it would be coming and saying, you know, I had a really good week. I had my quiet time every day. Uh, I didn't miss my prayer time. I prayed for everybody on my prayer list. It's been a good week. God, I think we're good based on the week that I've performed. Or it would be coming to this table and almost hesitating because of the week you haven't had, the bad week you've had. 
it, it would be saying, I, I can't, I can't even, ha- I can't, I shouldn't even take the Lord's Supper because I missed three quiet times. I wasn't faithful here. I didn't do this. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. All that matters is a new creation. The right way to come is to come and say, no matter the week I've had, good, bad, whatever, my only hope before a holy God in this moment is Jesus Christ. And I eat his flesh and drink his blood as if my soul depends on it because it does. And his flesh is true food and his blood is true drink. Do you believe in, like I mean, do you believe this stuff becomes the body and blood? No, that's not what we're saying. It represents that. And as we eat and drink with our physical mouth and body, we in our hearts feast on grace. Let's pray together.